0: Yates on Sunday
1: on News Talk. Brought to you by
0: SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you. Well, at this time every week, we invite in a special guest for our big profile interview to talk to someone of interest about their lives, the political and social issues of today. And today we have Mr. Justice Nicholas Kearns. Recently in the news over his chairmanship of the National Maternity Hospital moving from Hollow Street to Vincent's, but... He is a man of a spectacularly successful judicial career. In 1998, he was appointed to the High Court. In 2004, he was appointed to the Supreme Court. And in October 2009, he was appointed to the second most senior judicial role after the Chief Justice as President of the High Court, uh, involving all sorts of important things. Nicholas, you're you're very welcome. Did you always want to be a judge? No, no. I had no idea
1: what I was going to do while I was at school. And when I left school, I had limited options because I was the eldest of four brothers. Funds were restricted and limited. So uh, my father, who was a civil servant, uh, suggested I join the civil service with a view to doing the junior executive officer's exam, which might have opened a way for me to study law through uh, that role as a civil servant a Route others have taken both before and
0: since. And you went to UCD then, did yes, you? Yeah. To study law. Yeah. So I you got won- time.
1: I got time off from work to go to UCD and King's Inns then.
0: Okay. And just explain to me the difference between being a solicitor and barrister after doing your law degree. You opt then? Explain well, that. Well, I just
1: did the King's Inns uh, qualification. It was a four year course, Simpliciter, in those days. So I did two years of lectures in UCD, getting time off to go up early in the morning or late in the afternoon, and then two years in King's Inns, getting time off to go up in the afternoons. It was always in the afternoons in King's Inns. Okay,
0: we hear nowadays that, you know, deviling junior barristers, junior councils are starving with the hunger. They have to work in McDonald's to maintain themselves. What was it like as a junior barrister in your day? It was exactly
1: the same. Uh, When I came into the law Library, there were 105 barristers in practice, I don't know what the exact number now is. I suspect it's around the 1500 mark. You could walk around the law library and pick a place where you were going to sit. Uh, One of my friends, the late David Maughan, a district judge, his father had uh, an account in the saddle room in the Shelburne, so we often ate there and charged our evening meals up to Mr. (laughs) Surgeon Maughan's account. So So So, you were a petty
0: criminal at an early age. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Otherwise, another great friend of mine, Kevin O'Higgins, used to give poetry readings to American tourists in Brown Thomas, so he would come in in his three-piece pinstripe suit into the fashion department, take off the jacket, pull a bonin sweater over his head and became the resident poet during the interval. And when it was all over, he would go down and there'd be a brown envelope uh, with poet written on the outside and a crisp £5 note inside, which was good money in those days. Uh,
0: And and did you decide early to specialise in a particular facet of the law?
1: No, survival was the name of the game. I think it is for all barristers starting off, particularly now it's uh, very competitive and... uh, when i started i guess if you were still there after 5 years you were starting to show a return and the competition was less intense than it is now now it's frantic i would say and the demands on young barristers are
0: enormous so it's not surprising enough when, of when did you become a senior counsel uh
1: that was 1980
0: okay and tell us about that like at that stage you you'd established your name um Did you specialise at that stage? Because you see people are into competition law, people are into, uh, you know, matrimonial law, specialising in family cases. There's so many property law conveyancing. Did you specialise in any?
1: Uh, Well, I frankly mainly did personal injury work. I did bits and pieces of other work, landlord and tenant uh, work and... Basically, anything that came my way that I felt I could do, I would take on. Were you depending
0: on solicitors to get referral? And how do you sort of drum up business?
1: Well, you hope that solicitors will see you in action. And that word of mouth will go around that this guy isn't bad and he gets the work back uh, quickly. I mean, getting work back quickly to solicitors is absolutely critical. In the old days, we had one senior councillor, got his work back so quickly he had to be brought downstairs to the bar by his colleagues to say, you've got to slow down, you're getting us all a bad name. He would get work back the same day. Okay. That was regarded as almost being naughty.
0: And, and let's fast forward to 1998. What were the circumstances of, that was your first judicial appointment, how, how, like, who do you ring if you want to be a judge? I mean, do you, do you respond to a situation's vacant ad? How do you become a judge? Well, first of all, you have to make up your mind that this
1: is what you want to do. Uh, you go through a, a process <coughs> uh, through the Judicial Appointments Board. <coughs> you put in your application. You never know what's happened, whether you've got through the Judicial Appointments Board. If you haven't got through, you're not told that either. So it's a horrible time for any uh, barrister to have to go through that. And of course, word spreads feverishly around the Law Library, which as you know, is interested in gossip. No piece of gossip is too trivial not to be passed on. And if a colleague uh, and a competitor is interested in applying for the bench, everybody wants to know about that. And you can be tormented and targeted for months pending the actual appointment to see, are you the one or is it going to be somebody else? Okay,
0: two things. First of all, to decide to be a judge, like I I would have thought at the top of the tree of senior counsels, you'd actually take a pay cut to be a judge. Would that be true? What is the pay of a judge sort of today of a high court judge relative, say, to earnings of maybe a quarter of a million for a top senior counsel? Yeah, I would say uh, poor.
1: <clears throat> and if the pay is, beca- unfortunately, uh, disincentivizing good barristers from applying. Plus, uh, they have uh, increased the years of service you have to do as a judge to attract a full pension uh, from 10 to 15 years. And uh, that has a chilling effect on those ideally positioned to apply, people in their young 50s who, you know, the I was about to say the most expensive part of rearing children is over. Well, of course, we know it isn't ever over, but at least the worst of it's over at that stage. And they're nicely positioned then to apply. So
0: what is the pay of a high court? A hundred grand, is it?
1: Uh, well, I'm retired now. I'm looking at yeah. a much smaller check. I'm, there have been so many cuts to judges' salaries, but I is it something
0: uh, in that area? Yeah, it's something in that area. No, okay. it's,
1: well, it's more than that, but I don't. Well, have sir, is the, it I don't the same the as the cabinet order.
0: minister? Or something like that? Is it roughly? I, I can't be certain. Okay, so I don't. Okay, have, and just tell uh, us uh, then for the lower courts, yeah. a circuit court judge, a district court judge, because there has been kind of controversy about some of the eccentric nature of the district court judges and so on. Is the same procedure as strict or as, as in? You mean in a courtroom setting? No, 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 in the appointment process.
1: Well, it's very hard to, I mean, different considerations arise, uh, I suppose, where the government are appointing to the district court. uh, In appointing to the Supreme Court or the High Court, uh, particular abilities are sought. And obviously, those who are applying uh, have a better chance if uh, they are highly qualified in certain areas of specialty. Uh, The whole area of being a judge now has become so much more specialised. There are areas of law now that when I started didn't exist.
0: Uh, Okay. well, as you know, this this whole issue of the appointment of a judge has been very contentious lately. Shane Ross has said, look, uh, in relation to appointments and oversight, the system needs to be reformed. And he's proposing setting up an independent quango with a lay chairperson, a lay majority, albeit with judicial people on it and the Chief Justice, you're against this? Uh, I'm not
1: against uh, an increased lay representation. Uh, I see no harm in that. But the problem is uh, lay people, by the very fact that they are, by virtue of the very fact that they are lay people, don't necessarily, they can't know the calibre and qualifications and expertise and human strengths and frailties of perhaps 100 applicants for a particular position? How are they ever to find out? How are they ever to know? I mean, is it going to be suggested that every applicant for a judicial position is going to require an interview? Who's going to do it? Uh, how would this be done? Uh, that would require a massive uh, substructure of resources and uh, staff and so on. It would be a very expensive uh, and time-consuming Project Certainly for the judges who would be serving on this uh, body, I didn't actually think there was a great deal wrong or or is a great deal wrong with the present Judicial (coughs) Appointments Board, except that it did not rank judges or their nominees in terms of preference. And too many names were sent forward because that's what the Act says, that seven names should be sent forward for a particular position. Uh, the report the judiciary put into government at the government's request while uh, I was still working uh, as a judge uh, indicated a preference for a limited number of three to be put forward. Now, all the scares about polit- people with any political association not being suitable for appointment is something I just don't
0: But But, but, but sorry, the, the cabinet, like I know having been a member of cabinet, there is intense lobbying mm. goes on. So much so that it's nearly the preserver of the Taoiseach rather than the Minister for Justice of the AG who gets the gig. I mean, is that, is that proper? But on the other hand, uh, Ivan, the, an investigation has been
1: recently uh, undertaken into uh, this by Jennifer uh, McNeil who said in over 5,000 cases or decisions studied, there wasn't one instance of political bias demonstrated by a serving judge. In other words, once they're appointed to the bench, There is never an issue arising about their former political allegiance. So it's a non-issue. But if it was an issue, it would be a very different. uh, OK, and
0: then in terms of oversight, uh, you know, if you look at medics and we'll come on to the National Maternity Hospital and so on. And if you look at at different professions, the accountancy profession uh, and right across the spectrum, there has been a change uh, evolving whereby, you know, you don't become judge and jury of your own elite. Is that not is that not what yeah, needs but, uh, to happen
1: with judges? Well, in what context now, judge and jury, what context have you in
0: mind? Well, what I have in mind is in all aspects of oversight that there should be proper lay representation. Yeah, well, we're not... We're representing moving... the consumer as okay. opposed to representing the profession.
1: All right, well, now we're moving on from appointments to the yeah, Judicial y- Council. That's which, right. Well, I've, on the eve of her departure, I will say this. Nobody has worked harder to see the establishment of a judicial council than Susan Denham. It has been her, the top of her agenda. for. where is it at now? Well, repeatedly, government have not acted upon it. There is a bill now, which has been drafted, but is it going to... Come forward and be. What would that
0: judicial? What should that judicial council do?
1: It'll provide a mechanism whereby people who are dissatisfied with the judge's performance in court, or have a complaint to make about the particular judge, have a mechanism whereby they can lodge that complaint. It'll be assessed by a panel to see has a prima facie case, in other words, an arguable case been established. Uh, And if it has been, it will go on to a further stage of investigation and uh, a judge can be censured. It can range from a very serious censure to what might be described as a a rap on the knuckles. Uh, And
0: as of now, who are judges accountable to? Well, they're accountable to
1: the... Themselves in they have the, a lot of power in, in the declaration they make uh, when they assume office. I mean, judges take that. They're extre- self-regulating. They take that extremely seriously.
0: Well everyone takes it seriously. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, each judge is in a sense accountable to the colleagues of his court, to the wider judiciary, and to the boss of his own court. In other words, the president of the High Court, judges of the High Court, will, if they have a problem, certainly in my time, they would come to me to discuss the problem. If I would often receive correspondence uh, from disgruntled clients about the behaviour of particular judges and I would call in the judge. I would give him an opportunity to to know about this and to hear about it. And if there was anything that was considered to be of any substance in it, it would be addressed or we would try and address it.
0: Okay, from your preserve now of, of, of sort of being a hurler on the ditch and having a lifetime's experience, I want to ask you whether our court system gives citizens justice. Uh, I took one case to the High Court. It took me four years to get to the floor of the court. Justice delayed is justice denied. Why are there such delays in assist?
1: Well, it's true there are delays. And there are delays, I think, for a variety of reasons. Uh, Lack of resources, say, in the DPP's office in preparing uh, prosecutions as speedily as they would wish. Uh, lack of resources in the guard Chicona for a range of different uh, activities uh, lack of sufi- uh, sufficiency of judges we have a very low proportion of judges to population uh, and the amount of work our existing judges are required to do is disproportionate in terms of the number of judges to population there are delays I think it is something that a lot of attention is focused on certainly in the in the high court and Uh, the Supreme Court and Court of Appeal. Huge effort has been put now into case management and accelerating the process. Is it improving? I think it is improving right across the board.
0: Okay. the cost of the justice system. A day in the high court could cost you 50 grand if you have a senior and junior counsel. A lot of people can't afford not only the 50 grand, but the downside if they lose. You know, penally costing... The process of law means it's denied again to people. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's a very unsettling. What can be done
1: to change? I don't know what happens. Certainly what was happening increasingly in my final years as a judge was that people would elect to do their own cases. And from a judge's point of view, that is rarely helpful because uh, usually the litigant hasn't the legal expertise or uh, to know where a line has to be drawn on evidence and all that sort of thing. So judges don't want unrepresented parties. It makes their life... Are
0: barristers' p- fees too high?
1: It, look, there's horses for courses. There's an appropriate fee for... Is Wayne Rudy paid too much? I mean, is Ronaldo paid too much? You might argue it that they are. But, I mean, we have some excellent uh, barristers. and It's an open market. And uh, if we tried to fix fees for barristers, the competition authority would be straight in like a flesh, saying you can't do that. It's a cartel. Okay. But I, I know I, I would go this far, that the cost of going to court is a huge deterrent to people uh, who might want to take a case. And there is a public perception which I think is has some justification that it's a rich man's game and that unless you have deep pockets, you can't afford to get caught up in a court case, even if you... Believe. And you might
0: have to settle something. You might have to
1: settle and it might even be a case you think you might win. So you could be on paper and on the legal advice you have. So it uh, is uh,
0: loaded in favour of the rich. Yes, it is. Okay, on the criminal law, uh, this issue of bail, it drives people demented of people who are in clear breach of bail who go on to commit another offence. And there's been, you know, records of this on the Pulse system, the frustration of the Gardaí processing it, are judges too quick to grant bail?
1: Well, I can see why people are so angry about that and particularly where they hear that, for, for instance, uh, somebody who's awaiting uh, trial on some serious sex offence gets bail and then some hideous sexually motivated crime is then committed by that person while on bail. That drives people insane. and rightly, It shouldn't happen, Sure. Well, it... It's, first now, of all, Surely the judge has made an error there in assessing the risk to society. Well, firstly, <clears throat> every person coming before the court in this context enjoys a presumption of innocence. Now, the Supreme Court so took that view in terms of the bail area. Also, uh, the gravity of the offence, of course, is a factor to be considered. The possibility of a recurrence of a criminal offence of a similar nature or any nature is also a factor to be taken into account but also what has to be taken into account I mean, is the fact if you don't grant bail particularly a person facing a serious charge could be in custody for upwards of a year maybe 18 months maybe two years and suppose they're acquitted At the end of all that, I mean, they've spent maybe two years in jail.
0: But but, I mean, that's that's the kind of esoteric academic case. What about someone who's already got 78 convictions, you know what I mean, and has plenty of form being granted bail? And this whole revolving door question and whether mandatory sentences, which is a separate question, should be more uniform. Yeah, well, mandatory sentences almost by definition are uniform
1: if there has to be a mandatory sentence of a certain... For certain types of offence, judges don't really like mandatory sentences because uh, every case is different. And uh, there are often features in a case that would persuade a judge that to blindly follow a kind of formulaic approach would be doing an injustice. Judges tried very, very hard to get it right, uh, particularly at the level of the Court of Appeal uh, or Court of Criminal Appeal as it was. It's a big, big responsibility to get it Well, right. we
0: had a referendum on bail. Can anything be done to tighten it up?
1: Uh, I'm sure it could.
0: Uh, I'm sure. W- who would have to do that? The Minister for Justice or it the President of the High Court? No, corporate? no,
1: no. I don't think it could be done. I think it might require a further referendum, which uh, as specific uh, measures uh, would be put to the people in a referendum.
0: Okay. Going with this team, you know do we get justice? There's been two celebrated cases recently of acquittals, and I've no problem, the acquittal was the acquittal, and it stands, and and that's the law. The Sean Fitzpatrick case and the Jobstown Six case. The aftertaste in the mouth for the public, as I assess it, was that the way the Director of Corporate Enforcement put together the evidence was the reason that he was acquitted, not that certain things had or hadn't happened. In Jobstown uh, the issue was that the DPP overcharged. He went for, you know, kidnap, tiger kidnap-type charges as opposed to public disorder. In cases where people are frustrated uh, with with either the ODCE or we'll say the prosecuting authority, the DPP or the Garda, is there any comeback
1: for the public? I don't believe there is, really, other than to hold the DPP more to account. Uh, I see no reason why that can't be done. How could that be done? Well, I'd have to think about a mechanism whereby that could be done. Well, should he publish uh, his reasons? Well, I think that, well, I think now the situation is the DPP publishes reasons for not prosecuting in certain cases. That used to be the position, but that was changed some years ago. But what you're talking about is something different, where there is a prosecution and there is, as the public see it, a glaring hole in the some aspect of the case and uh, without getting into specifics about it there was an aspect of the evidence collation in the Sean Fitzpatrick case which uh, was a major handicap to the prosecution uh, in terms of bringing the case to its full fruition as might have, have, DPP might have uh, seen as the best outcome in terms of dealing with the matter. But that's that, that was the fact of that particular case. And again, on the Jobstown uh, case, you've in a sense made the point yourself that um, with a very responsible judge conducting that particular trial, uh, she had to give uh, the jury directions in accordance with the law. And uh, if charges were added that are included that shouldn't have been on the charge sheet, well, it wasn't the judge's fault and it wasn't the barrister's fault. And it wasn't even the accused.
0: So it. so you think it calls for the DPP to be more transparent would be a good thing? I think it would be very helpful. Absolutely. OK. Um, OK. Let's let's we'll come back to, 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 to law in a moment. But just the National Maternity Hospital. Huge controversy. You had this building in Holler Street there since the 1700s. 9,000 births a year had to modernize. And uh, Vincent's is just up the road. Um, The issue came up about the ownership of the site being in the Sisters Charities' nuns uh, and you had the issue of clinical independence and you had the the Mulvey deal. Um, Peter Boylan and and others became very exercised over the church versus state situation, that in a modern Ireland, we do not want church teaching uh, overcoming what could be secular law. Can you say under the new revised deal that if we'll say the Eighth Amendment was repealed, that abortions would be carried out in the National Maternity Hospital in Vincent's? Any uh, procedure permitted under law in
1: Ireland will be carried out in the new maternity hospital on site in Elm Park. That is part of the agreement reached uh, under the Mulvey deal. Repeated assurances to that effect were given... even before the publicity uh, on these issues arose, it was given by uh, St. Vincent's uh, Hospital, Uh, the autonomy of the new hospital and its clinical independence is not only uh, provided for in the Mulvey Agreement, it will be enshrined in the constitution of the new company that will be running the uh, new hospital. This was a flash fire of a controversy which on careful examination turned out to be really a a controversy without any real substance. Uh, It was never the case that the nuns were standing uh, in numbers in uh, maternity wards as were uh, metaphorically with machine guns patrolling the corridors to prevent some inappropriate procedure taking place. Nothing could have been further from the truth and uh, really it's extraordinary given the history of contribution made by religious orders to healthcare in this country that they should have been Hit in this particular way.
0: Well, we did have I a bishop. A we, no, but we did have a bishop of Finn came out and said, "Look, any Catholic institution will have to, you know, be run according to Vatican rules." Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that was one person expressing a personal view. You
0: don't think that was a valid view?
1: I didn't say He's. To, you don't think he was accurate though in I, terms
0: of what's going to happen? And the... he was expressing
1: a personal view. I didn't hear it expressed by too many other uh, clerics.
0: OK, and on the ownership of the land, here's the state, you know, normally putting in 300 million, but it could end up being 600 million if the children's hospital is anything to go by. Surely the state should own
1: well, effectively, the land,
0: the facility, everything. Effectively, it will own everything
1: because it will have a lien on the uh, property, so nothing can be done with it. Uh, the idea that uh, Vincent's, well, first of all, we now know the control by the nuns was a myth. And unfortunately, it was blown up into something that should never have occurred. It even reached a stage where there were demonstrations outside Hollow Street Hospital and people felt some of the staff in Hollow Street felt quite threatened going into work. I mean, that was outrageous. That should never, ever have happened. I mean, the work done in Hollis Street is unique. You do know that any complicated childbirth scenario around the country being dealt with, say, by a smaller hospital they're all referred to all it's, a it's a national tertiary hospital. I it for. does work but, but of were you not, importance. I mean, like it. we had
0: comments from the Lord Mayor in terms of the handling of a meeting and so on. Were you not, you know, kind of a bit arrogant in the way you, you dismiss <laughs> criticism? I there was no question of dismissing criticism. And
1: uh, one person, namely the Lord Mayor, who made it clear beforehand he was coming along to the meeting to support Dr Boylan's views, uh came out after. So you're saying
0: uh, all future masters will have the same clinical independence they have today? Yeah. Okay. Let's move back to the judiciary. But can I just finish off yes. with the
1: ownership business? Uh, firstly, the finalisation of the ownership arrangements is still in progress now between St. Vincent's and the department. Uh, we know great progress is being made and uh, whether it's a lease which we hope it will be that the HSE are granted over the site where the hospital will be. Uh, what the National Maternity Hospital in turn will operate under will be some sort of lease or license uh, from the HSE to carry out its operations there. Does this su- su- suggest that...
0: And is that different from the original deal? Uh, no, no. This is just the implementation of the Malvideal. Uh, from so the, so from there's, there's going to be a lease between the new board... Which is the four plus four, four Vincent's, four mm-hmm. NMH, mm-hmm. and one independent. No, no no, to... no, 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 no. The HSE will be centrally involved. Oh, this is public money. Yes, so yes, of course. The HSE, so the HSE, will, HSE be will
1: centrally involved, um, either through one of their grant. I mean, when they, when the HSE put in, when the state put in massive sums of money, Ivan, into a project like this, they get a stake in the form of undertakings and arrangements that uh, there can be no default of the recipient voluntary hospital without the state having a right to go in and buy or acquire the land or whatever. So all of these locks and safeguards are in position uh, and will be in position uh, vis-a-vis the National Maternity Hospital. So there's absolutely no question of the National Maternity I mean it's really absurd that some of the nonsense that's been put out there about this.
0: Nicholas Kearns Justice Nicholas Kearns Not the former master, but the former president of the High Court. Thank you for being my special guest today. Yates on Sunday on
1: News Talk. Brought to you by SSE Electricity Business Energy. Proud to power businesses all over Ireland. Energy at work for you.